0: Hi everyone, Producer Note here. We spoke as a team and wanted to add a small warning at the beginning of this show. If you don't recognize the title, we will be discussing an older but significant mishap in our community's history. We know that what we do is both difficult and dangerous, even for the best among us. It has been an honor bringing you these stories over the last two years, and we hope to continue doing so. Thank you all for working as hard as you do to be the benchmark in maritime search and rescue around the world. Fly safe out there.
1: Listeners, what is going Whoa, on, dude? That
0: is a throwback voice on the mic right
1: now. I am a happy man right now. I know you are. <laughs> I'm
0: looking at the. I'm looking at the water. I'm looking at palm trees, and I'm looking at your face, and you are cheesing, dude.
1: San Diego has a vibe <clears throat> to it, and I'm vibing right yeah, now.
0: Yeah, where uh, where are we right now?
1: Yeah, we are at the uh, Coast Guard Aviation Association, yeah. uh, the Roost in San Diego, it's and San uh,
0: Diego, California. Oh man so nice this is awesome it does uh, suck oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no it does not it's so good yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we are here uh, with a special guest. Uh, this is someone we've been trying to get on for a while for a really cool case, and yeah. so I'm I'm excited about yeah, it.
0: Yeah, we, we, what we did is we set a trap. We put a we put a bottle of bourbon inside this like <laughs> snare rope, and he just came wandering in to grab the bourbon, and we caught him.
2: Winner yeah. winner chicken we dinner. We caught him. Yeah. <laughs> there
1: he is. So without uh, further ado, yeah, uh, Captain Tim Eason, retired U.S. Coast Guard.
2: Hoorah. Hey, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here with you, esteemed gentlemen, and to be a part of uh, the next generation social media. Like, I don't even know what podcasts are. Yeah, well, now I, you're part of it. I
0: think so. we're influencers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're wearing the wrong suit. You should <laughs> be millionaires by yeah, now that's if you're really <laughs> influencers. Okay, we're not influencers. Yeah. No.
1: Yeah. Uh, sir, welcome to the podcast. We're uh, excited to have you on. Why don't you just go ahead and like little intro of uh, who you are, fun fact about you,
2: what you did in the Coast Guard. All right. Fun fact about me is don't call me sir because okay. I'm it's okay. Captain retired. So did I no get that know. right?
1: We weren't. We had a, about a five minute discussion. Yeah. Where does is the it,
2: retired go?
0: Does it, It's Captain retired. I think
2: it's Captain like USCG retired. Okay, I, I think that's it up. how. It, yeah, I think that's the official way. I don't know. Okay. Right? it's Tim. How about yeah. All right, Tim. I
1: can. Tim. We can settle on. I can Tim. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I
2: know who my dad is. Right. So do call by my first name. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. Happy to be here with you guys. Um, yeah, I retired last year, and you know you're here at Congrats. the race to see some of the cool stuff uh, that's that the CGAA is doing, and and their investment and passion for the future of aviation. Uh, if you sat through a couple of things today and you see it, that's that's so awesome, and it's uh they're really about paying it forward. A lot of senior uh, retired folks, and and that's you know I'm I'm happy to tell this story. I'm happy to talk to you guys because uh, yeah. I'm uh, all about paying it forward because yeah. I, I learned a lot from we all stand on the shoulders of giants. Right. And Absolutely. I, yeah. I had some tremendous mentors and, uh, and my first aviation tour and, and my, and my enlisted time. So yeah. a little about me, uh, you know, I started, I enlisted in 91, uh, sole intent of, uh, you know, growing up and getting out in four years. It took me 31 years to get out and I still have 31 years up. of service. Yeah. That's, wow. why, that's why I'm a pilot now. i still don't want to grow up. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I was, uh, I did the four year mark and I reenlisted, uh, I had a, uh, I was an E5 at the four-year mark. And I'm like, you know, because I partied too hard in college. So I didn't get my degree the first time. It took me <laughs> a little while. And I was like, wait a minute. After four years and an E5 and two years of college, I can apply for OCS. Maybe there's a shot at getting the fly after all one day. And uh, so I started the application process and uh, did a couple more tours and enlisted. And my last uh, enlisted tour, I was at MSO Savannah. And uh, I worked for uh, this lieutenant commander who was, she was very forceful, strong, great leader. And uh, I I was not going to apply for OCS the, f- the fifth time, and uh, she's like, "Oh yes, you are," and she FedExed it in the day before. That's awesome. And I got picked up for OCS, and uh, as I was as I got to the, the acknowledgement that I'd been selected, my my now wife and I were dating at a time, and I was like, I, you know, I just made first class. Life is good. I don't want to. I'm not sure I want to do this. Yeah. Do you leave fish to find fish? Yeah, exactly. Right. Cause I was also about to be 30 and like, am I going to get to flight school? Is it a reach? But, uh, Thankfully, that uh, lieutenant commander, whose name happens to be Linda Fagan, would ah. not take no for an answer. Wow. That's and, awesome. Uh, I sent her emails for years telling her it was still her fault. But <laughs> yeah. Every time I got promoted, it we was still probably, her fault. I
0: should probably send that to her, too. Hey, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. It's your fault, ma'am.
2: But uh, anyway, yeah, I know she was a, a great leader as an 04. And That's awesome. Anyway, I got picked up for OCS and uh, was fortunate enough to get picked up for flight school out of there. And uh, from flight school, went uh, you know, the detailer asked me where I wanted to go. I told him, and he said, how about New Orleans? And I said, no. And he goes, "Yeah, you'll enjoy Mardi Gras. <laughs> so I uh, went off to NOLA, and it was a great time. Uh, yeah. Did NOLA, uh, left there. Uh, he said, where do you want to go? I want to go to Savannah. He goes, oh, how about Kodiak? I'm like, all right, cool. Well, yeah. So we'll, to, we'll get it something warm. Uh, up to Kodiak for all Pat for two years. Then out uh, at of a, at a leaving there, they were like, hey, uh, guess what? Uh, you're going to go to ATC Mobile because they they want you. And I'm like, no, but Savannah was number one. They're like, yeah, but you're going to ATC movie. I'm like, go on, do I have to negotiate every single assignment? Yes. Uh, and so I went back to Savannah after that. And uh, after Savannah, up to Atlantic City, I uh, was doing deployable RWI and the nice. NCR from uh, Savannah when they stood it up. And uh, there was lots of places I wanted to go. And the detailer said, hey, how about uh, Atlantic City? So that's four in a row yeah. that I was like 0 for on yeah. getting my number one. But uh, no, it worked out well. I had a great time in Atlantic City and then, after four flying tours, detailer said uh, you're having way too much fun, so it's time to uh, hang up the flight suit for a little bit. And uh, I was
1: about to say I was counting. I was like, I yeah. haven't heard a staff tour yeah. yet. Yeah, no, that okay. was, that was
2: uh, it's coming. Yeah, that was, yeah, <laughs> that was uh, I left Atlantic City uh, <laughs> just in time for my staff tour at yeah. uh, D5 at DRMA, and uh, did my staff tour there. Finished up that tour, made 05. 5 the O5 board turned out to be like right when I got to staff tour, yeah. so he knew something I didn't know, it got ah, me there just in time, and uh, left there, went back to Savannah as ops for a year, then fleeted up to EXO. It's the best job you'll ever hate. Yeah, you know, it, you know, it really was a great tour. Uh, I loved being EXO and Savannah is my hometown, so you just couldn't have worked out any better. And then uh, you know, slipped through the cracks one more time, giving hope to the next generation, <laughs> and uh, sent me back to staff, uh, backed up to D5 where I was DRM, and uh, at that point, you know, I I love the service, love everything about the service. I love my time in service, but got my high three and thirty yeah. thirty one years. It was time to to turn the page. Yeah, so. and it actually worked out great because then we moved here to San Diego for my uh, daughter's wow. senior year of college. So well,
0: that's tough. I'm sorry you had to move all the way to <laughs> yeah. San Diego.
2: You know, I'm paying for it <laughs> literally, right. paying yeah. for it. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> let me let me ask you a question. So you you did your retirement ceremony, which I was at in Savannah. Yeah. After thirty one years, was there a day where you woke up like? Oh man, I miss it. I shouldn't have done this.
2: There was never a day that I said I shouldn't have done this. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of days where I miss it. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, if uh, in the career transition panel that we just talked about in the yeah. roost, one of the questions from one of the pilots was about, you know, camaraderie and, you know, what do you feel? And I'm like, the wardroom is dead when you leave. Yeah. Like, you know, I love the company I work for now. I love the fly in that I do. I love yeah. flying the Challenger, but we don't have a wardroom. You fly with a yeah. different pilot every rotation. You're all, not centrally based. The camaraderie from the wardroom mm. is the thing that I miss the most. Yeah. And I think that's one of yeah. the great things about what you're doing here with the podcast is you're, you're, you're really enhancing that virtual wardroom and, yeah. and you're planting that seed with the next generation of, uh, of coasty aviators. And that's, you know, paying it forward and, uh, and, and keeping that connection through the generations is, yeah. is, is key.
0: Yeah. Gosh, man, that is an impressive career. It, it really yeah. is. Don't be impressed. Like,
2: Somebody's got to slip through the cracks and give the standard. They lower the bar every year so that somebody gives hope (laughs) to the next generation. I, I was that guy. Man, yeah. That's
1: awesome. and we need that guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, not, not all heroes wear capes, yeah. you know. So, yeah,
0: yeah, you're, you're still a legend up at JZI
2: for those duties. So, we try to follow suit. Yeah, it, breakfast burritos and yep. cookies and milk at night, yep. man. And Halo or Call of Duty, yeah, I either know, one. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Specifically, the uh, the sled, the massive hammer, the sledgehammer, or whatever the the, plasma the boom hammer. slang, yeah, the boom <laughs> Just running around screaming at people. You
2: know, and I still play Call of Duty, and during the haunting, this yeah. call the call, Halloween season, there's a double-barrel sawed-off shotgun It's called the boom stick. <laughs> I'm like, ah, it's still alive. Here we go. <laughs> anyway, you're going to get me off the reservation here. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. What would you
1: say your favorite tour
2: was? Man, it, it's hard to beat having two tours at your hometown air station. You know, Kodiak was my favorite tour just because, I mean, we went there kicking and screaming and we left there kicking and screaming. Yeah. It yeah. was the, the flying there is amazing. And you can't help but be a better pilot when you leave. You know, if you're sure. alive and didn't get fired, you're going to be <laughs> yeah. a better pilot because of the challenges of flying in that environment. Um, that said, you know, I'm from, born and raised in Savannah. That's why I had my retirement ceremony yep. there. And being able to have a, a duty standing tour there as an 0304 and then being able to be ops and XO there was just, you can't beat that. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty That's pretty phenomenal. So, that that you know, tough to answer because all of my tours were great. I'm not going to lie. I yeah new orleans as a as a first tour aviator and you know 99 you know we were doing 350 cases a year 400 cases a year i had more live hoist as a you know in my first tour than a lot of my peers had in their you know first two tours and it's just because of the busy nature of the unit so it was great kodiak was awesome savannah was awesome atlantic city i didn't want to go there either had a phenomenal time worked for and with some great people you know getting got involved in. Some things that I didn't know were going to be career enhancing, yeah. and and it, just, it turned out to be a great tour. So I, honestly, man, we don't have a bad air station in the Coast Guard.
0: I, I have that conversation a lot with the folks. Like there are the you know the the ones that you least want to go to, but there are n- honestly no bad bad air stations. No,
2: there's not. And the, and the thing is, once you get through the get over the shock of getting sent somewhere that you don't want to be, because right. that's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Once you get over the shock, and then you just embrace it. What you realize is. Every Wardream has some phenomenal yes. people. Everybody's got, every Wardream has some phenomenal leaders yep. and talents that you can learn from. Yeah. Both about aviation, but also about life. You know, it, it is what it is. It, it was all awesome. But t- t- that's a lo- really long-winded, if you know me, that's me. But that's, that's a long-winded answer to the question. Savannah still is going to have to be yeah. my, my so favorite. You were, yeah, you were 65s the whole time. It was. Did you fly the Alpha? I flew the Alpha, the Bravo, the Charlie, the MH Charlie, and the Delta. So you never got any Echo time? I was on the cockpit working group for the Echo back uh in 2011-12. I think that that,
0: that might count. That's pretty (laughs) cool. But I never got
2: an Echo in my logbook. Oh, dang it.
0: Yeah, I guess when you did your final flight in Savannah, when, yeah, we we, we we were we're still Deltas. deltas. We were still Deltas. Dang it. Oh, that would have been cool. I I was trying, we we were having that conversation the other day. I wonder if there's anybody who's flown. Every single
2: one of them. I, th- I think there's one or two yeah. uh, of the senior folks. Uh, yeah, I think there are. That is wild. I mean, I didn't, I didn't get them all. I got it all the way through Delta. Yeah, so. gosh. That is, a, that is a different helicopter now.
1: Yeah, it yeah. is. Gets, catches up to some late 1990s technology, yeah. but much needed upgrade. You yeah. Know?
2: yeah. Yeah, look at the manufacturing dates on some of the avionics. <laughs> that are <laughs> yeah. still in our aircraft yeah. and be like. Uh, yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: That's cool. awesome. Um, an equally important question yeah, you're nodding your head because you know what I'm gonna. I ask. I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. what are yeah. you what are you sipping over there right now?
2: Four Roses, small batch, select. Yes, good choice, Joe. Yeah, good Thank choice. Yeah, you're, you're- bribes work. You're a bourbon guy. <laughs> I am, in fact, a bourbon guy. Yeah, and then what? And well, you got that from in some, some inside knowledge. Oh yeah, I yeah we do our research. We have. <laughs> yeah, we have we have our inside crew that gets it. What uh, What would you say your favorite bourbon was? Oh, you know it's it's I love some Blantons, but Colonel E. H. Taylor. Yeah, that's and, a good one. And okay. The Colonel E.H. Taylor small batch is what got me into bourbon. Yeah. But if you can ever find the Colonel E.H. Taylor single barrel, it's hands down, in my opinion, okay. one of the best bourbons. All I'll right. Take. There's yeah. some great ones. And there's some that are more expensive. But- we have our first Flight Suit Friday hot tip
0: from Tim Eason right
2: there. <laughs> yeah. Colonel E. H. Taylor single batch. Single barrel rather. Awesome.
0: It's going well. We could end it right here and we'd have <laughs> plenty of information.
2: Good luck on that. You can actually find it here in California, but oh. you get secondary prices. So like down the street from my house, there's a place that has like $2.99 a bottle. I'm like, yeah, no, thanks.
0: That's a a lot of money for something that you're going to drink pretty
2: quickly. (laughs) So this has got (laughs) nothing to do with flights with Friday, but so I got my, I got a bottle of single barrel when I was sitting in Taps in Chesapeake and I was sitting in Taps and we were right around it right there at the fence end and the, uh, CO of the the Coast Guard Exchange system was also in TAPS and he got a notification that they had EH uh, e. Taylor single barrel at the Coast Guard Exchange, which was right around the corner. <laughs> so at lunchtime, like four of us hauled ass over yeah. to the Coast Guard Exchange <laughs> and I got the last bottle pause, of single every, barrel. Everybody pause. Nice. We have to
0: leave and go somewhere else. <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> Very Not unlike another yeah. story that you've heard yes. about uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> words out. We yeah. got to go.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that happens in Mobile too. We'll get the notification that they got Blanton's at the exchange and, you hit freeze on the simulator and you go get a bottle of blends for what's $40 or $60. Yeah. Every, every golf cart on the whole base is scrambling. <laughs> yeah. It turns into Mario Kart <laughs> yeah. real quick. Yeah,
2: you're you battling. You can't miss and, out, man, because they'll go fast. No, and somehow the Chiefs always find out first. Like, yes.
1: I don't know who they're paying over there, but the inside, Chiefs. 100% inside guys.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And after all the, after all the uh, Chiefs mess has a bottle, yeah. then word gets out. Yeah, to the and exactly. And it gets let out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. But what a,
2: what? Uh, I'm
1: also going to, I'm also, you know, I got the four roses going, but I'm also yeah. going to do a beer because. I, I
0: think we have a, to do the obligatory, the yeah. sound
1: off here. Yeah. Which is, uh, came from the infamous trash can, Flight Suit Friday yeah. trash can beer. So you get the hotel, you don't put anything in the trash can. Nope. And then you fill it up with ice and then the beer so yeah. that it can be ice cold when you're bringing them out. And,
2: so. and for your listeners out there, the trash can is sitting in front of the window that's overlooking the, one of the beaches on Mission Bay Oh yeah, with uh, blue skies and palm trees it's blowing a, gently in the wind. It's, so.
0: a, t- it's a tough life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. Ready, ready for the sound yeah, now? Yeah,
1: let do it. And of course, oh. I got a uh, hazy IPA that's sitting at 7.5%. Uh, is it, is it Ken- oh, it's Kenny approved. Yeah, yeah, you know that. Oh, 7.3. I'm oh. sorry.
0: Yeah. This one's Cool. This is a green flash hazy IPA because, because on the West coast, you can watch the sunset. That's right. Blew my mind.
1: (laughs) So yeah. And every now and then you might get the green flash. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe you have never been out here.
0: It's like I have, but a long time ago and uh, I landed and we were driving. and I saw Coast Guard Air Station San Diego as we were taking the shuttle, the rental car, (laughs)
1: Place which took like fifteen. It minutes. Did. It did <laughs> <It> take <took laughs> a long <laughs> time. Ridiculous. We had to circumnavigate San Diego. <laughs> That's actually been the hardest part yeah. of our trip: is the uh, shuttle but ride to the rental car. How much do you think that piece of property is? That is, yeah, on the water,
0: prime real estate, and is gorgeous. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's cherry. So sixty transition. For Max Cherno's coming uh coming my way, probably, <laughs> for that air station
2: specifically. Yeah, good luck with that. You're going to have to work that mic a little harder for that. <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, before we uh, get on too much of a tangent here, I think we'll circle back to uh, your case, Tim, um, and correct me on my pronunciation, Selendang-I-U. Is that how we're going to say it? Selendang-I-U. Selendang-I-U, yeah. which uh, earned you uh a DFC, if I'm not mistaken on that. Earned and, our
2: crew. Yeah. Crew, like, yeah. Me, Rob Cornexel, and Greg Gibbons.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you guys had a crew of three, but um, maybe just kind of give us the ESPN version of, of what happened and kind of set the stage that led up to the
2: rescue. All right. Yeah. Let's see if we can condense this. Uh, you know, Doug Watson and I, and uh, he was in the 6020. Uh, we've told the story a whole bunch of times and done it as a risk management case, and we bring the the ORM instruction in, and we give decision points. It's always fun to put, uh, and we would do it at air stations, we'd say, hey, g- give us a seasoned aircraft commander, a first tour, you know, co-pilot, a uh, seasoned, you know, flight mech, and, you know, maybe a, a junior rescue swimmer, and we're going to throw questions at you and give you yeah. decision points, yeah. and that was always a lot of fun, because one of the things we always said is, like, if you think we made some wrong decisions, we probably did, but at the end of the day, it all worked. Yeah, uh, you know, time critical risk management is a is a trait that as Coast Guard aviators uh, we pride ourselves on, uh, and it's not something that can be learned overnight. Right? It's just it you learn it, it's experience. Yeah, That's why absolutely. it takes us so long to make aircraft commander. You know, you're barely an aircraft commander when you leave your first tour, and uh, you know you go off. And now you're a second tour. You're expected to be the season one, yeah. and man, you're just. You're just, uh, you keep learning, right? You That's still, what, you, every, what you do.
0: Every flight, every time I sign up for the aircraft, I'm I'm learning something else. It's yeah,
2: absolutely. I, yeah, And so, anyway, uh, kind of set the stage for it, I guess. Uh, we had been, that was my third deployment uh, in Alpat I'd been there for a year and a half, and it was just one of the crappiest weather months. We had been out for the whole month of uh, November, uh, and just absolute crappy weather. I think in the first 30 days of that deployment, we had 29 and a half hours, 30 hours of flight time, which you know, you sound like, hey, a 30-hour month, but 30 hours when you spend a month on a prison with a chance of drowning in the Bering Sea, getting (laughs) your ass handed to you, turns into a really boring, uh, a really, you know, trying time. So we had not flown a whole bunch just because the weather had been that bad. And then we were two days away from uh, the ship leaving the Bering Sea the Alex Haley leaving the Bering Sea to return to Kodiak. And we all woke up to the pipe uh, that the Alex Haley was being diverted to assist the cell and dang, the motor vessel cell IU a adri- uh, disabled and adrift in the Bering Sea, and you know you could hear the groan go throughout oh, the ship, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. yep, because Alex banging, Haley banging, yeah. banging
1: the you know walls and all kinds of stuff, right. yeah, yeah.
2: You know, and the Alex Haley, if you didn't know, she was used to be the SS Edenton in the Navy, and uh, when she was the USS Edenton, she was a salvage ship. She towed a destroyer in her Navy time, and earlier in her Coast Guard career. She had towed a 600-foot freighter in the Bering Sea. Yeah. This is so, a real house. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were like, oh, we're going to be towing this big boy for days, and we're not going to make it home on time. And this was, yeah. you know, December 7th when we got this pipe. So yeah, we're all thinking Christmas and Christmas shopping, and, you know, we just—and— We've been getting our ass handed to us in the Bering Sea. We just wanted to go home. So yeah. that kind of set the stage. We got to, in the case, I mean, we could talk about it forever. There's a great NTSB Marine report. If you Google the name, yeah, you could read the NTSB Marine report. And it's cool to read that because it goes into detail over the course of the next two days of what the crew was doing to try to get this thing restarted. And and, and I always like to bring that in because it's not, it's not the aviation piece, but we talk about the decisions that they made that led them yeah. to yeah. the ultimate conclusion meanwhile you don't we don't think about the fact that you know out of the 28 crew members you know half of them were below decks trying to uh, replace a cylinder liner and to do that you got to pull out if you read this ntsb marine report you got to pull out this piston and rod that w- the piston's 23 inches in diameter yeah. the rod's 10 feet long and it's three thousand pounds for so the two of them together yeah so they're doing that in the bowels of a ship in 30-foot seas in the bering sea yeah trying that's, to get the engine restarted so, that's
0: hard to do when it's flat calm out
2: okay. yeah and so i like to point that out Yeah. Just in the in the big context, because sure. there's so many nuances of the story, and even trying to give an ESPN you know synopsis yeah, of it, yeah. there's just things that I don't like to get missed. At that was affecting everybody else in it. It wasn't, you know, just yeah. us. So
1: I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that's what's fascinating about this case is there's so many layers yeah. that we could talk about each little individual person even, you know, of like what that person's role was and what they were trained for. Yeah. But um, Absolutely. yeah, it, it's yeah, fascinating.
2: Yeah, and tell your listeners, you get bored, uh, you need, if you're flight school, you need a break from it. <laughs> Google it is selling the NTSB Marine Report. Okay. It's a fascinating read from the ship side of it. Yeah. And yeah. only touches on you know, what we're going to talk about today, but from the ship side of it, it's a great insight. So anyway, they uh, we spent uh, the next two days trying to figure out what we were going to do with this ship. They were drifting in the Bering Sea towards uh, on Alaska Island, and the, the immediate concern was uh, Boguslaw Island, which was a seal rookery out in the Bering Sea, and yeah. it looked like they were going to drift towards that. The, uh, ocean-going tugs had been dispatched um, in the evening of the 7th. One got on scene, managed to get an 8-inch a or 9-inch towing hauser on her. Um, which all that did was slower drift towards okay. the island. Um, and, uh, that lasted about 12 hours before that line parted. And then, uh, so are you getting this
1: information as you guys are kind of, as it's happening? Um, oh, oh yeah. Or are yeah. you guys
2: just playing Halo
1: and, uh, no, you the know, once, once all this
2: all started, cause you know, we went up to the bridge and I was talking with the ops boss and the CEO and, uh, you know, because we were trying to stay engaged, and because yeah. we knew there at some point there was likely to be an aviation nexus to this case. Yeah, we didn't think it was going to be what it turned out to be, right. but we knew there was going to be an aviation nexus. So we wanted to stay. Rob and I, especially, were up on the bridge the vast majority of the day on the seventh and on the eighth. Uh, and, and plus, I mean, you're trying to sit in the in the av shack and you know, play Halo and your chair keeps falling over. It's just, (laughs) it's it's just really, (laughs) it was was rough, but uh, no, you know, we, we really, we wanted to know what was going on. So we were kind of in tune and talking to the CO and Ops and the the ship's command throughout, throughout the two days and kind of had a pretty good idea what was going on. I don't know
0: if you said this, how far were you guys when you got the initial away
2: from the vessel. Uh, we were probably 150 miles away okay. from it. Cause, so they lost power on uh, the 6th. Yeah. On the evening of the 6th. The Coast Guard didn't find out about it until around midnight on the 6th. Gotcha. Diverted the Alex Haley in the middle of the night and we all woke up to that the next morning. Sweet. And you guys are just steaming towards there. Yeah, we're it, just steaming. It took, did it
0: take two days to get there? No,
2: oh, no, no. It... it, uh, it it probably took the Alex Haley about, uh, eight to 12 hours okay, to wow. show up on scene. I don't remember exactly yeah. how, how long it took us to get on scene, but we were on scene with the cell in NIU by mid morning on okay. uh, December the 7th. Gotcha. And, uh, so later on the evening of the 7th is when they tried the, the, one of the ocean going tugs got there and they got it lying on and it parted after, uh, yeah. about, uh, about 12 hours, I think. And then. They couldn't. A second tug had tried to get a line on, but the seas had gotten too bad because the seas and the storms were just continually building during this time. And then on the uh, the morning of the um, eighth, we learned that the 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 line had parted. So the Alex Haley, having done tows like that in the past, said, "Okay, well, we'll we'll give it a shot to see if we can get a line on there and get it get her under tow." Yeah. Yeah, Alex Haley did a, the old crossing the T, not like we do in the 65, but the old crossing the T, <laughs> and uh, the, the gunners made did a phenomenal job, you know, getting a line-throwing gun out and, and uh, putting a monkey fist right on the bow of the selling IU, but what happens is, one, you're in now 20 to 25-foot Cs that are continuing yeah. to build, and the, uh, those guys were trying to pull in this 8-inch towing hauser through the messenger line, you know, so it's not only as an 8-inch towing hauser, but now it's also, you know, dipping in the the... 37, 38-degree water, yeah. and uh, getting soaked and getting heavy. And the Alex Haley kept slowing down, slowing down as they paid out slack to try to bring in the messenger, the towing houser. Eventually, the Alex Haley lost the steerage way. She slowed oh, down geez. enough. And she actually turned uh, port bow to uh, starboard bow to starboard bow. To the uh, And we were both sitting in the trough. And yeah. that's when they swung the axe, severed the towing hauser, and Alex Haley powered out. Oh, God. They just, the, the crew on the selling thing, you just couldn't pull it in fast enough. Right. to, And so they, that, that effort was all for naught. Yeah. So then it became, you know, what else is next? Meanwhile, you know, Air State Kodiak had one Air, H-60 crew. Doug Watson and Dave Neal were actually on the C-130 headed to St. Paul uh, for the crab season. And yeah. they had a 60 that was headed there. So they diverted the 60 to Dutch, uh, I think to Col Bay maybe, and then they brought the C-130 with those guys back to Col Bay. They picked up that 60 and brought it down to Dutch Harbor and the Co- and uh, Kodiak uh, repositioned the second 60, the 6021. Ironically, we had yeah. the 20 and the 21. Oh wow. Um, repositioned them down to uh, Dutch Harbor, and there's uh, I'll, I'll show you if you haven't seen it while we're talking. I'll bring up a picture of the uh, 6020 and the 6021 sitting on Dutch Harbor. Uh, on the day of the eighth, which will uh, kind of give you a uh, give you a frame of reference of what the weather looked like. So this is uh, during the day on the eighth. Holy cow! I would say that's probably, I mean,
0: obviously less than a quarter mile, viz. Uh you, oh yes, yeah,
2: significantly. <laughs> yeah, wow.
0: that is wild.
2: Jeez! So, <laughs> swipe to the next one. I'm scared to swipe on your phone. No. Phones, no. <laughs> No, the other way. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't go that way. Don't. I put them in a folder so you don't see the ones you really shouldn't see.
0: <laughs> that is so, and then they're just waiting.
2: Yeah. So they were there, kind of pre-positioned. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, wild. throughout the day, on the uh, Jeez. yeah, that's spinning up, getting ready to go. Yeah. Alaska style. Uh, so many d- during the day, the the ship up on the bridge, talking to the the CO and the ops. They were negotiating with the master, like trying to get him to say, "Okay, hey." you're still drifting. We need to get some people off of the ship. And yeah. uh, he had uh, 26 people total on board the ship. I think I said 28 earlier, but 26 total. And um, throughout the course of the day, he was trying to get the engine restarted again back mm-hmm. to the NTSB Marine report. They'd been up for like 30 hours yeah. at one point, Their Jeez. guys. And uh, he threw out one anchor which uh, slowed the drift and swung the bow into the, uh, into the seas. Briefly, and then yeah. it started drifting again. Oh gosh! And uh, he held the second anchor till they got into a shallower shoal water. Um, but he eventually agreed to say, "Okay, let's we can start taking some people off." Okay, yeah. We were well out of limits, so at that point we were just playing aviation advisors to the uh, ship's company. And Kodiak launched the 60s from Dutch Arbor to come around. They launched them. They staggered them so they yeah. could maximize on scene time. Uh-huh. Yeah, 20 came around first, and uh, the 20 hoisted uh, nine people off of the cell in Niu. Okay, filled up their cabin, and mm-hmm. then the 21 showed up, and uh, we had a C-130 that was orbiting overhead, uh, and the as the 21 showed up, and they started their hoisting, the original plan was, and it's somewhere, there's multiple plans. Like, we yeah. can't even touch on all the yeah. nuances yeah. in this case, but after that, the plan was, the 6020 can come lower their nine down, empty their cabin. Then, yep. when the 6021 was done, there would only be eight left on the ship. And The 20 could go back, and get the last eight, and we could call it a day. And they yeah. could make the seafood buffet at the Grand Illusion. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, we would yeah. just keep getting our ass handed to us in the ocean, in the Bering So sea.
1: what's the weather? Like you showed us those pictures of them sitting, waiting when they got on scene. So, is the weather kind of on and off like that all the day? The weather is
2: absolutely on and off. So okay. there's another picture and I'll try to find it here while we're talking. But we were in these seas that if you look at the launch, there's actually a video of our launch. We were in 25 foot seas, 25 to 30 foot seas Gosh. when we finally launched. But throughout Holy the day, smokes. you know, we probably went from 15-foot seas on the morning of the 7th to 20-foot seas by the evening of the 7th to 25-foot. And then we got in the shoal zone, and the seas just kept building. Yeah, Yeah. Winds were uh, fifty, anywhere from 40 to 60 knots with gusts up into the 60s. And then you would have these snow squalls. And this picture actually really sums it up really well. You can see when the snow squalls would come through, it would be like daylight with five miles of visibility, and you'd go down to... Boom, you know,
1: qu- quarter mile, almost pitch yeah. wise, quarter no. mile visibility. Yeah.
2: And so, uh, you, you were just in and out of these snow squalls all day long and try to take advantage of the good good windows, yeah. So, he eventually agreed, the master eventually agreed to let some of his people come off. and The 6020 hoisted nine up, 6021 went to work, and the 20 came over. And uh, they were like, okay, they'll lower their start hoisting their people down to the ship. To the Alex Haley, and that, everybody's seen the videos. All you got to do is Google it; you'll see videos yeah. of the sixty twenty. Uh, and Doug Watson was in the right seat, and Dave Neal was in the left. And you know, probably some of the most phenomenal hoisting that I've ever seen. You know, one of the one thing that he wound up flying formation with the ship. And when Doug tells the story, you know, his first series of hoist, he was way out of sync with the ship, and he was chasing it all over yeah. the place because you could see how much it was pitching. I, I watched
0: those videos prior to this
2: interview because I remembered that they were on there, and that is is wild yeah and if, if you watch there's two videos And the second video if you watch them in the right sequence yeah. one of them he is in total time with the yeah. ship he's flying for him on the ship and yeah. you know as a 65 guy we don't have enough collective tra- collective travel to do <laughs> what said. he did and yeah. uh you just I think, let it go <laughs> yeah you know and i think uh, at one point uh and it's on the Vader, uh on their Vader. But I think at one point Dave told him he looked like a monkey effing a football and <laughs> Doug said he felt like a monkey effing a football. Um so I don't know if you can say that or not. Yeah, but probably uh, get through. Yeah. yeah. But you know, that's they were working hard and they got those nine folks down and you know, we always talk about risk mitigation and thinking outside of the box and you know, you talk about the uh you know, the star model and how you can spread out transfer, accept, yeah. adapt, whatever. And so one of the things we did to mitigate that, uh we actually took uh, Greg Gibbons, my flight mech, and uh, another one of our flight mechs who was on our uh Steve Schmid, they put on their dry suits and their helmets, oh. and they went out and they were handling the... That, the, that was my question, like, because obviously, you have
0: aircrew on board the boat, yes. and so you're utilizing them
2: and surely nobody has ever, neither of y'all have ever been hoisting and screamed through your mic to the boat crewman to pull in <laughs> yeah. the trail line. Right. Because they're just holding it in their hand yeah, like things, a lump noodle. And yeah. you're like, dude, pull it. Especially
1: in this scenario. Yeah. Right? yeah. And,
2: and so we we knew that. And we were like, you know, it would help to have some experience on the flight deck to yeah. mi- to mitigate yeah. some of these hazards. So we were, we were trying to implement mitigation from the other side, even though we were on the receiving end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but we bid on that end. So we, we got it. How long were they outside? Oh, would you say? Probably... 20 25 minutes. Okay, so
0: that's my my question was going to be like were you thinking about crew time at that point with for yeah. them? Because that that was not long enough. I thought it was going to if it was a couple hours maybe, but They were only
2: out there. we'd been deployed for thirty plus days. Our crew time was we were already (laughs) That's a good point. You were itching to do something. Prison with a chance of drowning, man. You want to do something (laughs) and get off of it. Yeah. No, that was just a a mitigation strategy. And they did a phenomenal job getting those nine folks down to the ship, but we also realized we're like, whatever we do, we're not doing that again because that was just way too much risk involved. Yeah. And uh so they got done. Uh we're gonna do that again. The twenty one finished wasting their nine folks and uh as they're hoisting, their nine folks. They finish up. We're like, okay, now what are we going to do next? Well, the 20 is at this point, they're kind of bingo. They're getting to a point where they're going to have to leave. And the 21, because they were staggered, they had more fuel to remain on scene. Yeah. So they found, actually found a clearing. And uh, in between one of the snow squalls around the corner near the Makushan volcano, they landed. And they transferred those nine packs from the uh, 21 to the 20. Okay. So the 20 could take them back to Dutch Harbor. Yeah. So they took off back to Dutch Harbor and the 21 came back and then they had a couple of hours of loiter time, uh, over the, over the ship and over the Alex Haley. And so, uh, cause they're sixties and they have that kind of fuel. We right. don't. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of hours of loiter time for us means we get wet. Yeah. Um, or you're right next to the airport. <laughs> yeah, or you're, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So the 20, they get, they head back to Dutch Harbor and uh, you know they, they take those nine folks back and they think they're done. So they're already thinking about the seafood buffet, but thankfully they didn't hit the beers yet. Meanwhile, while the 21 is orbiting overhead, like we're on the bridge, like we're negotiating with the master, yeah. like the CO and the ops the, and the XO of the of the Alex Haley are like, hey, you know, hey, let us take you off. Well, yeah. I'm like, and I told him like we'll put you back on the ship the next morning. Yeah, straight yeah. up lie. But we'll put you back on the <laughs> ship the next morning. We'll yeah, do whatever yeah. it takes so you. But understand, you're still drifting. At this point, he had dropped his second anchor, and he 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 kept asserting on the radio that he wasn't drifting. But they're watching him on the mow board. Yeah, you know, uh, Mow boards and on yeah. the radar. You know, yeah. and they, they know we he. We know he's still drifting at about a half knot towards Unalaska Island. We're like you're gonna he's gonna run aground, right? And uh, he he still wouldn't relent. He kept himself and his last seven people on. To try to get the uh, uh, engine restarted one last time. And so uh, he wouldn't relent. The 6020 finally hit bingo fuel. Yeah. And they actually, because at this point there was only eight people, we didn't right. need two 60s. They were actually bingo back to Cold Bay because okay. we still had crab season coming and they still had that mission to fulfill. Yeah. So they left, and unbeknownst to us, you know, Murphy's ass was busy that day. And so unbeknownst to us, when the 21 left scene, yeah. they actually had a gearbox chip light. On the 21? On the 21. Oh, boy. And they're flying through those snow squalls. And oh, by the way, I think their collective channel had gone out. So Gosh. they couldn't let go of the collective or yeah. it would fall to the floor. Yeah. And uh, it was. I think it was an input module chip light. Um, I don't know. I'm not a 60 guy. But yeah. They hit the fuzz burner, it yeah. burned it off once, and then it came back. And then it just stared at them the whole way. Oh, and whole they're debating the whole time, and they're flying the shoreline of uh, of the island, uh, Unimac Island, because you know if they start to get symptoms, they're going to no, ditch. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. They're going to put it out yeah. on the beach, but they didn't want to put it. Even that with that light, staring, they wanted to put it on the beach right that moment because yeah. you know it was twenty five degrees outside, blowing fifty knots. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to have a good survival night. Yeah, That's you're going to
1: become another star case at that point. Yeah, you know.
2: so they actually did make it back to Cold Bay, but they actually wound up replacing that main gearbox on the 6021. That's It was a significant, a legit, a legit issue. We didn't know all that was happening, but I only tell that because when you talk about the scope of the story, we yeah, much like I mentioned, the the piston ring and yeah. uh, trying to change that piston out, uh, there's so many aspects of the story. Yeah. I mean, Murphy was just... He was a drunk little, you know, <laughs> leprechaun all over the place on <laughs> on December 8th. Gosh. So anyway, they got back. We didn't know about it. But um, now we're just left with, it's just, it's just us, the Alex Haley, the 6513 on the back of it and our av debt and uh, still negotiating with the master. And so then we started trying to form a, a plan. We're like, right. okay, what are we going to do when this ship runs aground? Because yeah. it's going to run aground. Yeah. And so we came up with the idea that we would go into Scan Bay, which was right near this and it was a long deep bay that it was deep enough for the ship to the Alex Haley to get into and it was actually protected enough that you could get somewhat out of the winds so we're like we're going to go up in the bay we'll spot the helo on deck with the blades unfolded yeah and get it ready to launch because it's gonna run aground and And so so you'll be in limits
0: at that point if you ran in the bay you thought you would would be be closer close enough (laughs) yeah Yeah, close enough
2: yeah Yeah, whatever it's all ball bearings yeah um for the Fletch fans yeah (laughs) so um Yes, we actually, the, the, Alex Haley said, that's our plan. That's yeah. our plan going into the nighttime because uh, sunset was coming fast. Yeah. And again, it's December 8th in Alaska, so sunset's early. Yeah. So we headed over to the uh, Scan Bay, and Rob and I were like, well, we've been up on the bridge all day. Let's go grab a bite to eat. So yeah. we go down to the wardroom, and you eat like you do on a ship in 25-foot seas. You know, you're framing yeah. your meal. You're riding that bad boy back <laughs> and forth. and <laughs> uh, The the ops boss comes running in, a little bit of flurry of papers. I always like just picture like flurry of papers flying behind (laughs) him, and he's like, "The shit's hit the fan." Can you launch? And uh, Rob and I looked at each other and we're like, "Yeah, we think we can make this happen." Yeah. And uh, he ran out, and we were like, "Did he say if the shit hits the fan, or the shit has hit the fan?" And by that time, we hear now all tie-down personnel lay to the flight deck for Hilo rolling. And you're like, oh, it hit the fan. (laughs) It hit the fan. So (laughs) we, you know, Rob and I jump up, and who knows what happened to our meals, but we would jump up, we run down to our our stateroom, and, you know, everything you thought was secured for sea was not. It was all over the place. We're grabbing our flight, our dry suits, and we run out the hangar deck, and I say to Dale Estillette, who's my plane captain, I'm like, all right, I told him we can launch, but it's you and your guys that are going to have to do this. Yeah, You tell me, can we do it or yeah. can we not? And and again, it's about the whole crew thing, absolutely. right? Absolutely. I can make the decision, but I'm not going to tell Dale, I, let's have a conversation. Yeah. Let's, I got 51% of the vote as the as the uh, aircraft commander, but I'm like, yeah, it's your guy's going to be on the head. If you yeah. tell me we can't do it safely, then it's going to change my decision. Yeah, making, absolutely. Right? And uh, he, he thought for just a second and uh, he said, yeah, yeah, we could do it. I was like, all right, cool. Let's do it. Let's roll it out. Were you, were you thinking at this point like if
0: we uh, we can take off from this boat, but if we take off, we're not going to go back to the boat. We will not land back. I
2: won't the boat. lie that we may have grabbed an extra set of clothes in our helmet bag <laughs> yeah. and a, and a uh, an extra set of underwear at least, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, with hopes of getting to the seafood buffet yeah. once it was all done. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, but no, a, that I I say that Jiggle, We obviously threw a little extra stuff in there, but that yeah. wasn't the concern. The concern was. Okay, they're aground' cause yeah. at this point we knew they were aground they were taken on water Yikes. the captain uh, the master of the selling you said okay i'm I'm done now what I'm was not the tra-
0: what was the length of the boat seven
2: hundred thirty eight feet a ground yeah, getting oh all start a ground stern first, and now they were taken on water so and at this point, the reason he asked if we could launch is because yeah. we didn't have comms with the sixty twenty or the sixty twenty one didn't know where they were. The, the boat had communicated with ComState Kodiak who communicated with the air station in the district you know you got the circle that goes around the room yeah. and we knew that they were the, the air station had requested the 6020 to come back but we didn't know when they were going to be back and the master at this point was a little bit panicked because wow. it's you know, sun is setting shocker yeah. So uh, you know a real a, a quick nod to my tie down guys you know uh, Dale Estelet, um, Steve Schmidt Randy Barrera and uh, Greg Gibbons my flight mech who was flying with us that day and to the tie down personnel that were on the Alex Haley because they got the airplane rolled out the blaze unfolded and we were airborne 37 minutes after the Jeez. pipe for Hilo rollout
0: holy cow that's fast that's I mean, from
2: the DVL and the and the logs on the Alex Haley yeah I don't know how we did it I yeah. mean. You know, you had three people on each blade trying to unfold it. The yeah. nets wouldn't stay down because of the seas and the wind, and it was it was you, it was sketch.
0: You do have those crews sometimes that are just like you are just in sync, and it feels good, and everybody's doing what they need to do, and the the rotors turn, and you are like, "Yep, that was efficient. Let's go."
2: Yeah, yeah, they, those guys were rocking and rolling.
1: Yeah, and uh, and I think it's a testament to like the training. Like right, we do these things over and over, and yeah. we're trained to do it, so that in that moment when you are like, guys we need to move with a sense of urgency, like do it safely, but now's the time to get moving. Yeah. Yeah, Make it happen. Make it happen. You
2: know, and Dale had to, he he said, Hey, have the ship turned uh, into the uh, turn, downwind so we get the wind and the seas behind us we had a following sea and downwind yeah. the downside of that is when you open the hangar you had you know 50 knot winds blowing 25 degree 28 degree oh, air I, it was so cold for those that flew alphas and bravos i was in the right seat i went to start it my fingers were so frozen i wasn't even sure i was pushing the igniters i'm like <laughs> you know, you're know, you looking up yeah. making sure you're pushing yeah um but uh yeah it was it was a hell of a testament to those guys and and uh they rolled it out and uh if you want to know what it looked like right before they got the blades unfolded. Oh my gosh.
1: I like, I'm nervous Nelly, just on a normal rollout of a 65 yeah. and getting the blades unfolded. So I can't imagine like yeah. the, the stress of watching that. Yeah, happen, you it know? was, it was no joke. You're like, yeah, we're one mistake away from this thing
2: rolling off in the side of the yeah. ocean. Absolutely. And <laughs> it was a, just a phenomenal effort by those guys. I can't say enough about, uh, you know, their effort and what they did to, to make that happen. The end result would have been very different had they not made that effort yeah. and, and got the aircraft. So, yeah. you know, again, the team concept, man, and our training. And, and we had been together as a, the, you yeah. know, the five of them and, uh, you know, our whole av You know, we had been together for, yeah. you know, a month now and commiserating. And, and yeah. we, we really were, I think, in sync. And, That's and it, awesome. And it helped. And I'll touch a, I'll come back to it in a minute. But it helped that, like, Greg Gibbons and I yeah. went to AHAR's together. Yeah. ours back then. Uh, we had perfect. gone to Ars together and yeah. had done some uh some cool challenging hoist there. Yeah. So anyway, we get the aircraft, uh, the blades unfolded, we get turned up and uh, I was in the right seat and uh, Corny was in the left and I'm like, "Alright, well, you want to take off since I'm going to, you know, get some hoisting in." And he's like, "Sure." And he takes controls and he's, he just looks at me and goes, "This is going to be a non-standard takeoff." And I look back at <laughs> him like, "No shit, you think? <laughs> Roger. Tracking. If uh, <laughs> what do you think the pitch and roll was? Did the ship tell you? They lied. Okay. I mean, ships never lie, but what? they lied, uh, but we were, and they even threw in occasionals, but we are, I don't, I don't remember what they said pitch and roll was, but I will tell you that when Rob took the controls, I was watching the attitude indicator and <laughs> we had uh, plus or minus about 16 to 18 degrees of pitch And uh, on the, on the attitude indicator. Yeah. And uh, we had roll what probably would... 10 to 12 degrees each side. So what was that startup like? 40. Yeah. You know, the good thing is the, uh, even the old LTS 101s, they like cold weather. Yeah. So, so they yeah. just
0: lit, lit yeah. off, got yeah. the head turn. Gosh. Yeah. If I could
2: uh, pause
1: for a second, like, what, what kind of ORM did you guys do? Like, okay, hey, shit's hit the fan, get the aircraft out there. Okay, aircraft's out there. Did you guys stop and talk of like, hey, what is the gain to this mission? Like, do, do we, can we safely even take off this thing before we even think about that? What were some of those decision gates that you guys kind of set up, if any?
2: Really, very brief, because right, you know, the the and I know the verbiage has changed in the air ops manual over the years, but the the end result was probability of saving a life warrants maximum effort, right? Up yeah. to mm-hmm. up to including destroying the aircraft. They don't mean crashing it; they mean you know over torquing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so we all knew the risk gain. The, the risk gain calculus. We knew yeah. what what the hardest part of the risk equation is always what is the gain, sure. right? We, we we can start to quantify some of the risk, but there's always the unknown risk. Yeah. Uh, and what's the gain? And in this case, you know, it was a ground taken on water. We didn't know what was going to, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. a big ship, but it's coming on nighttime. What's going to happen to that ship? Yeah. Is, and the seas were such, the, the storms continuing to roll in. That,
0: that is a big driver, though, the nighttime thing. Yeah, like we've had cases that you you sit on for a while. They're like, oh, let's see how this plays out. Sailboat, whatever vessel, like taking on water. Oh, let's we'll see how it plays out. And I remember like times where I'm like, hey guys, let's like we like it's significantly safer if we take off now.
2: Oh yeah. And I will tell you that years later, when I was in my first staff job as an 0405 and then in my uh, my O six staff job as DRM, serving as SMC and Axis, yeah. doing managing star cases from the other side, there's been many a conversation with flight surgeons and with you know operators like, "Hey, sooner is better." Yes, this is not going to get it's not going to get easier with Nightfall. No. We all know that you know that. It's self-evident, but the more you do it on the front line, I mean, so those conversations, your your DRMs, your SMCs yeah. actually have those conversations, especially the aviators, not to knock the others, but the, especially the oh. aviators, they have those conversations before you get launched on a case. And, yeah. Uh, so that was, that was to answer your question, we get, that was kind of a tangential answer, but yeah. to answer your question, it was certainly a, a very brief discussion. We knew we were going to go hoist people and to get them off of the ship that was aground, and yeah. the weather pretty much sucked. So their lives were in peril, yeah. uh, and we felt like we had enough synchronicity as a, as a team. Like, my first deployment in Allpat was with Rob Cornexel and with Greg Gibbons and with Dale Estillette. So we had a really strong synchronicity with the team that we felt like we could make it happen. And when Dale said they could get it unfolded and get us ready, I'm like, all right, well, we're game off. If, if you Is can that do it? that, I'll get us off the deck. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, and that's you know, so that there was a, a conversation about that, and we moved on from that, and um, we. Uh, we got to we launched the aircraft um, outside of pitch and roll limits. Like I said, we were rocking and rolling, and yeah. it, it, we launched right after sunset. So it was actually we didn't even have goggles on, yeah, because it was still bright enough. But it was right after sunset. Yeah, about the time we launched, the sixty twenty was coming around the corner, and they had been trying to hail us, but they were blocked by the mountains. Yeah, uh, and so they 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 called and said, hey. Not really sure why you guys are taking off from the ship in that weather, but yeah. that's not a good idea. But, uh, that's after
1: you took off? Yeah. You're like, yeah, thanks. No. I could use that could you said about two here. minutes ago. Yeah, yeah well, uh, So how, the, how did the takeoff go, by the way? Were you just like, hey, I'm just, when we get to the top of this thing, I'm just going to pull some power and hopefully we'll sit right here and then we'll just get the hell out of here. That's pretty much exactly <laughs> what Rob
2: did when he said it was going to be non-standard. I mean, the good thing was it was cold and we had 50 knots of wind blowing over the deck. Yeah. yeah. So he... uh we we watch the sets, swells come through and the sets come through and, and even in seas like that, there comes a point where the ship is relatively yeah. calm. Yeah. I won't say calm, but relatively calm compared sure. to what it had been doing before. And um we saw the swells coming and like I said it was still even though the sunset had just set, it was we could see enough, you could see the swells and he timed it. Caught yeah. us on the crest of a uh and if you if you look at the video because it's out there too, I, I haven't
1: seen this video. I oh, it is. It it's
2: good. Yeah, you, okay. you you can if you if you watch the background and you watch, you can see the depth of the <laughs> wave that passes, and you can tell what kind of pitch we just had. And as we settle in right after that, that's when Rob blast off. Yeah, he released the talon and pulled <laughs> yeah. pitch. And, uh, <laughs> oh my yeah, and uh, and and immediately dumped the nose. So yeah. it actually it's kind of funny. It looks like we dip, and, I, and I'm pretty sure we did because he yeah. dumped the nose to immediately to get some forward airspeed. So. Uh, those guys called us and they're like, all right, well, you dumb asses are off the ship. Um, you're on scene first. What do you want to do? And yeah. there's a sideline mentality. We've been on the bench for the last two days and watching those guys actually get some hoisting in. Yeah. Uh, I won't deny that there was a, you know, a piece of all of us in the cockpit to say we want to hoist. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. We came to the conclusion, you know, I said, hey, they've already hoisted nine people off of the ship from that location. They've got the capacity. Yeah. Again, we talk about complexity of event, right? You start talking about the piece model and the star and, yeah. you, you know, invoking some of our ORM principles that we yeah. always talk about. You know, one of the things is event complexity. Like if I go in and hoist three people off and I get my jollies because I've been sitting on a ship yeah. and then I head to a Dutch Harbor, I've just complicated the mission yes. unnecessarily. Uh, and so we're like, you know what, you guys have the capacity to do all eight. I, damn, I hate giving credit to the big iron. Yeah. Um, big iron. But we gave them a ride home. So I'll, yeah. I'll leave that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, they did, they had the capacity. Yeah. They had already done it. Um, they had figured it out. That was that, the, that was the right answer.
0: That is a man. Cause you just did, you did a very hard thing by taking off of that boat with the mindset of we are going to go and do some hoisting. Yeah. To, Change course and be like, oh, we're actually not going to hoist. That must have been tough.
1: That's it, actually a, a pretty interesting. The way you phrase that, yeah. I think, because I didn't think about it from like that perspective yeah. of like up until now,
2: the effort was. You made. guys were going to hoist these people, absolutely right. That's and then, that's don't. I couldn't have justified as the aircraft commander, and we as a crew. I couldn't have justified the risk that I exposed my crew to by yeah, taking off right. from that ship just to go watch somebody else, right? That's exactly. not, if, you, if you're doing, you know, risk is probability times exposure times uh, severity. That gives you your risk, right? I, right? I can't justify that if I'm not going to go do something and we, yeah. and we wouldn't have done it had they had gotten on scene yeah. five minutes earlier. we would would not have taken off. And now you got to kind of check that ego a little bit. Yeah. But again, we talk about ORM and whether it's a, I think it's a five-step model that we use now. We used to be a seven-step model, but now it's depicted in Coast Guard's ORM instruction as a circular because it is, it used to be a linear depicted, but it was never linear. It's a circular, it's monitor, right? And, and what I fly now, we talk about confirm, activate, monitor, and intervene. That's the, the CAMI model, right? And that's, so you've got to constantly, your risk analysis doesn't stop when no. a decision is made. Yeah. It's like, what is the results of that decision and what's going to be our next step? And how are we going to make this better, not worse? Yeah, And so yeah. Yeah, we we said, hey, you guys go ahead and do it. And uh, so they pulled into position. They put the basket down. Um, the guys just looked at it. We think it arced because they're, the eight of them were on the deck. Yeah. You know, it's now nighttime. Yeah. It's... Uh, Winds are blowing fifty knots and gusting. Uh, it's cold. It's snowing. They
0: saw visible There's moisture. Arms. We, in the we think, and, and yeah. that's totally just speculation.
2: Yeah, sure. We don't know, but we do know they put the basket down on the port bow of, yeah. the, of the ship, and the guys just looked at it. Like nobody got in the basket. Yeah. So the sixty twenty picked the basket back up. Meanwhile, while they're doing this, I'll come back to that. But while they're doing this, we did an orbit around the ship. And as we started our second orbit around the ship, another snow squall came through. And, like, we literally lost sight of the bow when we were coming around the stern. And so, we're like, yeah, we're, we're done orbiting. We're just going to pull into a hover. Yeah. And, yeah. Um,
1: so, about 700-foot visibility yeah, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, or less. <laughs> yeah.
2: And so, we pulled into a, a, about a 200-foot hover behind them. And even even the old uh, Bravo model with the Lycoming LTS-101s, uh, you give it fifty knots of wind over the nose and uh, yeah. twenty-five degree temperatures, twenty-eight degree temperatures. You're it'll in, hover yeah, at two hundred you, feet. Yeah. You're in cruise flight at that yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, you are. You're in four. You're out. Yeah. You're not even a transition no. flight, right? So anyway, so they, they pulled the basket back up. They they were screaming at them inside the helicopter to no avail. Yeah. They pulled the basket back up and they threw Aaron Bean their rescue swimmer in the basket. They're like go down, and start start getting them. Yeah. And uh, Bean, you know, just jumped in. He wasn't ready to go into water. Didn't have his Tristar on. So yeah. he, but he jumped in. Jumps in the basket, goes down. As soon as he jumps out of the basket, he grabs the first uh, crew member, throws him Dumps in the basket in. like a rag doll, <laughs> and they start hoisting. At yeah. this point, we pulled into a hover and pulled up next to them. I think they made some uh, disparaging remarks about us being like, what are they doing next to us? We're trying to work over here. Yeah, like, I think that's on the Vader, too. Um, <laughs> but uh, we backed up, and uh, we were just sitting behind them. And uh, we watched them hoist uh, you know, the first guy and the second guy and the third guy and the fourth guy. And uh, there were so, there were eight people on board the ship plus Aaron Bean at this point. Yeah. So, you had nine total on board the ship. And uh, it was uh, during the seventh hoist that uh, we saw, uh, or the seventh person coming up. So, it was actually their ninth hoist because they yeah. put the empty basket down. And then they put uh, Bean down. Uh, and they took some spray through the rotor disc. And we were kind of focused on what was going on because they were in our, you know, they were the sodium bridge wing lights of the ship yeah. had them lit up and we're watching them and kind of focused on them. And we could see another big set of swells coming. We told them to take some spray through the uh, rotor disc. We're like, wow, that was close. Yeah. Uh, and then the wave hit, and then the one that got them, um, We all have seen, we've always been to the Pacific Northwest or the Northeast with rocky shoreline. Even a 10-foot wave can make some nice big splash. Yeah, of course. Well, we're in the shoal zone now. And and one of the things, unbeknownst to us, because we didn't think about it, we never really talked about hoisting the grounded vessels before this case, right? Um, But, of course, it was taken on water from the stern. So, the more the water it took on, the more the ship was making contact with, yeah. the, with the seabed below it, and it was slowly sinking. Yeah. So this wave that hit was probably a 40-footer. I mean, they're in the shoal zone, a little bit bigger than normal, but when it hit, that energy had nowhere to go, and yeah. it exploded vertically. Yeah. And what we had not also kind of lost track of the fact is they were shifting out of the winds because um, the ship was aground, but it was being pushed yeah. to its starboard side. And so we were kind of in the wind— this way and, you know, off to about a 40 degree angle from the bow of the ship but watching all this and uh, when the wave hit we were in about a 200 foot hover and uh, we had wave explosion up to our altitude yeah. and, and it collapsed over the top of the sixty-twenty. 20 uh, it looked like the analogy that I make is that it looked like they drove into a car wash because they God. disappeared from our site for a couple of seconds. Jeez. The video that is shot, if you've ever seen the crash video. I have not seen so that. So the crash video is uh, shot from the Alex Haley about a mile away. Yeah. And if you don't know what you're seeing, you, you don't know what it is. Yeah. But in the video, you can see the bridge wing lights of the Selenang IU, which are about 90 feet off the surface of the water. You can see the foc'sle masthead light. And you can see the landing hover light of the sixty twenty, uh-huh. And we're all in this uh, snow squall. So, and you can't see our landing light on the initial video because we're 40 degrees off. Yeah. Um, and then when the, the wave crashed over, all of the lights except for the starboard bridge wing lights disappear. And I timed it on the video. It's like three and a half seconds that it disappeared for And when the when you can start to see the lights emerge, you can see the landing hover light from the sixty twenty descending. Yeah, and then it disappears from sight. Oh my god! It's the only video of the crash. Their Vader their uh, hoist hoist cam had been turned on earlier and left on. Yeah, they had run out of tape. There was nothing left in the uh, hoist cam. We didn't have hoist cam because in Alpat we didn't have hoist cams on all of our sixty fives at that time. Yeah, Uh, and so that's the only video of the crash. But anyway, we see that we see them go in. We're like, I I start uttering holy shit. I think yeah, uh, when they emerged from the uh, wave, uh, looked like they were trying to fly out, which in fact they were yeah. Uh, but they had uh, had lost all power to the engines yeah, and uh, they settled. The tail clipped the side of the ship, and the uh, the tail came off. Actually, if you look at the crash crash photos of the sixty twenty, you can actually there's some that are close up, and you can see because the the folding tails were of course bolted yeah. And the, the break point is actually just after the, where the hinge is. Yeah. And, uh, so the tail came off in, uh, lots of little parts and pieces flying yeah. in multiple different directions. And then the, um, uh, and it also imparted the slight left roll and then the, uh, their, their mains, they, they caught on a crest of a wave, which saved them about 40 feet of falling. Yeah. Um, uh, their main, uh, main rotor blades hit the crest of a wave and it came apart in parts and pieces and then they impacted the water and uh, it rolled over because yeah. helicopters roll over when they hit back to water. Uh, I'll pause right there. I will say one thing about this, that um, the the adrenaline, because at this point we're like rolling right into Greg's rig in the basket. Yeah, Rob's making a radio call. I'm trying to count survivors that are coming out of the aircraft. Yeah. And, uh, one of the things that that Rob and I saw while Greg was looking at getting in basket out of the back is we watched one of their cart one of their rotor blades cartwheel in front of our the sixty five thirteen. Oh my goodness! And uh, at the time you don't focus on it. You're yeah. like that's okay. What's next? What's yeah. next? Right? Yeah.
1: Okay, that didn't kill us. Next. And then yeah. you
2: you're just <laughs> watch.
0: You're like, and that's gone.
2: And and it's interesting, I told you, Admiral Olson is here, and he was the D-17 commander, and I was telling him that, and I'm like, you know, it was the next day when we realized how close our families were to the SGLI lottery, and in this case being a little bit different turnout than it actually was. Yeah,
1: Yeah, so I was going to ask you, like, um, you know, you're there, okay, high risk, you're thinking about this, you know, getting these people off, but your brain wasn't ready for what you just saw, right? Like you were ready for like, okay, these people might fall off. Okay. But I just can't imagine sitting in that hover and seeing your boys go into the water. Yeah. And, And how long, like, you know, you talk about like time dilation. How long did it take you guys to recognize like what just happened versus like, the actual time,
2: you know? I, I think it was almost instantaneous. I mean, yeah, Greg huh. Gibbons, to his credit, I mean, he had the basket rigged and ready before I could even Hell yeah. say anything other than holy shit. Yeah. um And uh, yeah, the, the trauma of watching, like we've all watched crash videos. I, yeah. I really don't ever want to watch another crash video. I got yeah, one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, no, you're right. I mean, earlier in the sequence of hoists, we, at least one of the hoists, uh, waves rolled over the deck of the ship and yeah. knocked Aaron Bean down. Yeah. And he actually went like 30 feet down the deck. Yeah, And we thought he was going to wind up in the water. We're like, crap, we're going to be hoisting him yeah. while they're getting those guys off. Right. So we were already in a mindset that we were in a world of shit. Yeah. yeah. We, but we weren't expecting that. We,
0: like, yeah. I mean, I I've seen some pretty gnarly stuff happen live, but, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's expected, but you're like, okay, I'm here doing this search and rescue case. Like, we're just going to adapt and overcome like the thought of seeing the home team like go through something like that is wild. Like that is crazy. It's yeah.
2: you know, it's it's not it's not a good feeling. No, uh, yeah. it's really not. Yeah. You know, and Rob he made a radio call and it, it, his very even keel voice. It was interesting to, to hear it but later on. He, he's like, you know, Coast Guard cutter Alex Haley, the H60 has just gone in the water and the uh, Alex Haley's response was, say again? Yeah. Because that's not what they expected to hear, yeah. right? And, and they didn't know what they had yeah. seen because they yeah. were a mile away. I want to make sure squall. we just heard what you said correctly. And, uh, and Rob said again, he goes, I say again, 6020 has crashed. They are in the water. And after that, the radios exploded. Like, I, okay. I actually had this moment of, during the first hoist. I told Rob, because there, there was the C-130 overhead, the Alex Haley, there was there were multiple tugs on scene but yeah. couldn't get in. Yeah. And suddenly, everybody's talking on the radio. I'm like, Rob, there's one person I want to talk to. Yep. Just give me ICS. I Yeah. You know, my, radio my, off and it's go time. Yeah. My cup is filling up over yep. here. And uh, I mean, I'm i I'm a bear of very little brain anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't even
1: there. And like, you just like saying that radio call, like, Hey, the six, you just oh, went to chills. the water, like gave me the chills. chills yeah. hundred percent. Yeah.
2: It was, uh, it was, it was, it was a significant emotional event. I'll yeah. just leave it at that. Absolutely. I mean, it really was, you know, and, and so we, but again, our training and the things that we do, like, okay, we'll talk about, how effed up this is later right, right now. now we got it's people go in the water.
1: We need to compartmentalize. Yeah. We need to put that aside right now.
2: And how do we fix? Yeah. So, uh, I counted, uh, five heads came out of the water. They, they hit, uh, on their left side and rolled over. Uh, we always laugh about Dave, you know, that whole waiting for motion to stop. I think he unasked it before. <laughs> it, uh, I think he unasked it going down because <laughs> he was the first one out. and yeah. uh, the, the first one, uh, that we had in the helicopter. And, um, he 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 got he got off got out of the helicopter, and got away from it, and was kind of pushing away. Um, Doug's story is a little bit different. Doug, uh, based on some of the stuff from the DVL, we figured Doug was underwater for about two minutes. And I think you and I talked about yes. it earlier, but we uh, before then, we when we did sweat every year, you know, we just did little bicycle helmets. We didn't do helmets. We didn't have microphones in our mouth. Yeah. And Doug's story about trying to get air, panicking. Yeah. You know, letting go of everything, trying to get the door open realizing he was actually trying to open the door and not the emergency exit because of habit patterns right? right yeah and i'll tell you a quick side note to that after that every single time i ever flew in a 65 before i retired i would stop and i'd take about two and a half seconds to reach up and put my hand yep. on the emergency release handle on the yep. door when, whether it was left seat or right seat just so uh, i had it in my mind we
0: and I, I don't remember when i showed up when you told the story but we were talking you had told this story before and i fly like when i'm going over water. Egress handle, door handle, seize bottle, mic, and I'm yeah. I just t- I just touch those things, and yeah. I'm like, and it's because of that story every single time.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's the mental uh, imprintation, yeah, and the mental imprint, right? Because uh, I, I did it because of that. After that, so Doug tried to get out, uh, couldn't get air, tried to get out, still couldn't get air, tried what said, effort, let go of a point of reference, everything else, couldn't it couldn't get air. Now he just like he's doing everything. He finally mushed it around and he got the Heeds bottle because yeah. it was C- Heeds bottle back then, not seize. And he was finally able to get some air. And once he got some air, he had a little bit of clarity and he went back through his procedures and he was able to get out of the aircraft. We estimate that he was underwater for about two minutes because he said that when he came up, he looked, as he got away from the aircraft, he looked up and he could see the lights reflecting off of the basket going in the cabin. We know from the DVL, from when Rob said, uh, from, the, from the ship's digital voice log, Rob when Rob's call that the 60 had crashed, to when Rob made a radio call that uh, we had an H60 crew member in the aircraft was three minutes. And I I don't say that for any other reason other than I'm as shocked as your face is right now. <laughs> I'm like, I have zero idea how we did that, except for the fact that Greg Gibbons is a phenomenal flight yeah. yeah. Because uh, if, if you ask Dave Neal, Dave was in the water and he's looking up and he's trying to figure out why we're in front of him. Yeah, you know, Cause he's looking yeah. up at the tail of the 65 going, yeah. what are those idiots doing? I'm back here. And he said that as he was, uh, he's looking up at us. He get bumped in the shoulder, and he looks over, and it's the basket. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> and Gibbons put the basket just right on it. Oh, he just went to work. Oh yeah, he he's like, all right, let's go. Absolute badass. That's awesome. So we got uh, we got uh, him in the air, him in the basket first. Pulled him in. Basket went back down. Next was Brian Lickfield, who was the flight mech. Uh, he bounced off of his gunner's belt uh, a couple times trying to get out. You've never watched a stand guy do that, right? <laughs> After a hoist flight, yeah. yeah. Uh, he bounced off of that, um, and then we got him in second. And then uh, we put in the basket next to Doug, who uh, was actually trying. He was the last one out of the helicopter, but yeah. it's also our guys have reflect retro tape on, so it's easier yep. to see them. Right, uh, and. The whole time I'm asking Rob, I'm like, hey, man, how close are we to the cliff? Because the ship is aground, fairly close yeah. to the, cl- the cliff. Oh, wow. And we're backing up, backing up. and So I uh, I asked him, I'm, like, I'm constantly asking him, and he's giving me up. Me, we're good, we're good. I'm like, I know, but they just crashed. I don't want to kill them back into yeah. the cliff. And um, if I could pause you, because that was one of the things I was thinking about is, like,
1: you just watch something that you're like, I would have never seen expected that wave to shoot up. And now you guys are almost in that same position or had you guys backed off enough? We were backing
2: because now the current's pushing them towards the, oh, gotcha. the, the, towards the shoreline. Okay. So we're backing, but we're also, we're doing all of our hoist at like 150 feet. Yeah. I'm like, because yep. we just saw that. Dude, I can't imagine Again, like
1: 150 feet with 50 knots of wind. Means, yeah. Like when you said he was... You know, like, oh man, they're so far forward. It must have been
2: really far forward. Yeah, it was really far forward. And (laughs) and I will I will tell you that, uh, you know, again, you know, the risk equation, right, is severity times probability times exposure. Well, we just witnessed the severity. We knew at ninety feet where the exposure was. Yeah. So we're like, yeah, okay, we can. We're just gonna do this up high. Yeah. And. so we stayed up high, and we did that. And I, I don't recommend doing a 150-foot uh, <laughs> hover PIW hoist at night in no. a blizzard. I really don't. Yeah. Uh, but somehow or another, it worked. You know, The the synchronicity between the team, Greg and I had been to AHARs together, yeah. and I just a lot of things worked in our favor. Yeah. For all the things that didn't work in our favor, a yeah. lot of things did work sure. in our favor. So uh, we get uh, Doug in the basket. He get him up. Um. And then uh, the next is is the gentleman's name is Rajiv Diaz Uh, because there were five, we counted five uh, heads that came out of the 60. They they had 10 people on board at that point, three air crew members and seven Selending IU crew members. And they were wearing civvies and type two PFDs and 38 degree water. So you can imagine what happened. Uh, to them, but uh two of them actually did make it outside of the airframe, whether they were washed out or egressed. I mean they're not trained in egress, they weren't yeah. secured, they're wearing PFTs. Yeah. My supposition is they were just washed out by the violence of the motion. Um, but uh nonetheless, uh we put the basket next to Rajiv and at this point he's kinda motionless on top of the on the water. Yeah. And uh Greg starts fishing for him. He's conning me left and right, you know, he's backing me up. I'm trying to I'm trying to do all this uh in these conditions and yeah. He gets. Uh, he's trying to scoop him with the basket, and he says at said, at a hundred and fifty feet, no less. Yeah, yeah. and he says uh, he won't get in, and I can't get him off. And I'm like, "I, dude, we, we got to have the basket back. We got. At this point, we knew the master and Aaron Bean were still on the ship. We yeah. needed to, I'm like, just you two block him. I'll I'll come down to a hundred feet. You two block him, and we'll we'll see what we get. Yeah. And uh, we got him up to the airframe, and um, got mm-hmm. him up to the to the cabin, and he was covered and. Oil and jet fuel at this point, because we had backed into yeah. where all the bunker fuel yeah. was and where the jet fuel, of course, from the crash. And he said, he's dead. He's still smoking. And I made the mistake of kind of looking over my shoulder, and, and it looked like a decapitated body hanging on the outside of the basket. it yeah. was like steam, body yeah. heat leaving his body. And we were like, there's no fire. Anyway, they pull him in, and what had happened is in the process of trying to scoop him, back then we didn't have the locking bales on the hoist hook. huh so in the process of trying to scoop him, the hoist cable had actually wrapped around his neck and had gone back through the bale. And the only thing that saved him from, saved us from not breaking his neck is that his butt was on the edge of the basket. So it was supporting his weight, but we hung him and we picked him up.
3: Holy
0: cow.
2: Um, and so they, you know, the three air crew members that we just pulled out of the water and Greg, yeah. they disentangled him, got him in the cabin. They started CPR him. He wasn't breathing got the full-blown you know pump in the chest and the yeah. spit up gargle and he starts he finally takes a breath um so he literally he was second minutes if not seconds from death Holy and yeah uh, you know, again not to dramatize it but that's that was the reality you don't
0: have of it. to dramatize and that. the
2: guys that had just been pulled out of the yeah. water and they're soaking wet and cold helped get him you know help you know, resuscitate him and how many how many people are on the back of this air at the air of, of the 65 at this point we have uh, three air crew members one sellinging IU crew member and my flight mate, Greg Holy Gibbons. cow.
0: It's yeah. a packed
2: 65. So yeah, they were, they were packed. And at that yeah. point we had lost sight of the fifth individual. Yeah. Uh, he slipped beneath the surface. We never saw him again. Um, and, uh, Greg's like, all right, this guy, this guy needs immediate attention. We yeah. need to get going. And so we, we transitioned to forward flight, uh, at this point, we were, had been working in the, the bridge wing lights of the Sullenang IU, and in our landing light, and we're jacked on adrenaline. Yeah, uh, and we transitioned to forward flight and realized that somebody turned the lights out after we took off. And, yeah, um, we initially made a call to the Alex Haley. We're going to come back there, and they were like, "No, you're not." And Rob's like, "Yes, we are." And we looked at the Alex <laughs> Haley, and we're watching the you know the deck lights do the dance. Yeah. Um, we didn't have our goggles on because the goggles were in the back. we yeah. had them, but they were in the back. Now yeah. they were behind four. Oil and jet fuel covered individuals. Yeah, and so we're like, okay, and Greg's like, hey, we he needs more medical attention than the ship can give him. Yeah. We need to go to Dutch Harbor. we're Like that's a great idea. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: let's throw yeah. out that last yeah. statement about thinking about landing back on the ship because that was yeah. a really Let, bad let's idea. Let's go to
0: somewhere that's
2: stable. And the next problem was we really weren't sure exactly where we were. Yeah, because we had you know PADU and the uh, as our bingo, but we had no flight plan. Yeah, we didn't took off. was so quick. We didn't really have a flight plan. So I'm like, okay, Rob, let's get on the GPS. I'm just going to avoid solid green radar targets for a few minutes and figure out where we are, get us, get us a plan back to Dutch Harbor. And we had a low vis route into Dutch Harbor.
0: That, that is an understated thing is, is transitioning from the, the crazy hoist environment that you probably were in to just the nitinoid like button pushing of where are we? Yeah. Yeah. That is a very simple thing (laughs) that you have to like, have to like immediately just decelerate to and just be like i'm just gonna push some buttons on the gps
2: yeah yeah it was it was intense and, yeah. and now we're like completely in the darkness and we were at un- only at 150 feet because yeah. we didn't want to climb up because it was low ceilings we ain't no icing on the 65 mm-hmm. so and at
1: this point the swimmer and the master are still on the vessel yeah they're right? still on the mess. so on it's the vessel. not like you can be like okay let's take five
2: minutes let's change our bridges let's go land safely like there's probably still that pressure there's a sense of urgency yeah there's a sense of urgency and so we transition to forward flight and uh, he gets on the box and he's uh he he gets a good flight plan in and i'm like okay i need a break from flying right now you take the controls he takes the controls we uh, as we as we turn north now we got this quartering tailwind that's just kicking the crap out out of us i mean those guys are they're bouncing around, and in and, and the back, they can see the white caps and our landing lights ahead of us, and they're like, don't kill us. You just got us out of the water. Don't, yeah. Please don't kill us. And so we make our way back, and we're, we're turning the corner into Dutch Harbor, and uh, we're on the low-vis route, and before we turn the corner, we got a call from ComState Kodiak, and the, the exact verbiage, I'll never forget the radio calls, like, Coast Guard Cutter Alex Haley requests you return to scene as soon as possible. The situation is deteriorating rapidly. And we're like, Ugh. What is this? Please help me. I just watched Detere- six people die. I just watched some of our buddies crash a helicopter yeah. in the Bering Sea, and we're getting our ass handed to you. Please explain to me how Detering this can be deteriorating totally. rapidly. We'll get there. So, <laughs>
0: Holy cow. We,
2: we we literally just laughed because at that point, we were now in the entrance to Dutch Harbor. The, the winds are spilling over the volcano, and we're— now we got a tailwind we got about 160 knots over the ground we can't see anything we got hog island in front of us and we're like okay we got to get slowed down and get this under control get on the ground oh so my God. we're like whatever we'll we'll deal with that next so we, we make it in we we come in on the low vis approach we land we shut down we had an ambulance waiting there for uh. rajiv because he was in pretty dire straits uh, I think his body temperature, they said 78. I don't know if they transposed Uh-oh. the numbers. It might've been 87. Wow. Either way, he was severely hypothermic yeah. and uh, um pretty bad shape. Uh, but he lived and there's actually an interview, like an ABC interview with him a few days later and it's really not, he's got like, his eyes are black. He's got some bruising on his neck. It's like, it's. he looks pretty rough, but he's alive. Um, anyway, so we land... Uh, those guys are like, I, I realized at that point, I didn't know that Doug Watson was in the uh, aircraft. And, and we knew we knew who was, a, we knew the crew because yeah. were, we were all stationed together. But Doug and I were OCS classmates and he like tapped me on the shoulder. I'm like, dude, just get out. I can't, right now is not the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. don't know? make me
1: tear up. Here. Yeah, like, yeah on, it was,
2: uh, I was like, I didn't know it was you dude, get out. Huh. um But uh, yeah, we so we shut down, uh, briefly entertained hot gassing, but you know, icy ramp, windy. Greg's now covered with jet fuel and yeah. you're know, like, yeah, that's a horrible idea. Uh, so continuous risk mitigation, right? Yeah, continuous absolutely. risk management. We come up with ideas and quickly toss out those that are really, really bad. And uh, so we shut down. Um, I ran inside, took a quick phone call from the air station, ran back out of the aircraft. We got it started back up and uh, we pulled pitch. Uh, the pitot tubes were frozen initially and we were, didn't have all the sats. We're like, yeah. well, I got to go. Right. So we pulled pitch and, um, Uh, We had, now we had a great plan yeah. and now we actually had all head goggles on. We're like, okay, now we can get back to the scene. We know where we came from. We get back to, as we're approaching the ship, we're back in another snow squall. And we as we're getting close to the the scene, we start to see the bridge wing lights uh, emerging from the snow and we're like, okay, all right, there's the ship. And then in the distance off to the left from the direction we're coming, we can see a strobe light in the darkness and we're like, what the hell? Did he jump off the ship? What did, what did he do? What? And as we get a little bit closer, we start to see two ships. Oh, n- the ship had bro- the deteriorating rapidly, meant the ship broke in half while we were gone. So, when I say the proverbial dark and stormy, like Aaron Bean and the master were yeah. on the bow section of the ship when it yeah. broke in half. And that's what they meant by deteriorating rapidly. Yeah. We came back and, and he didn't have the courtesy to stay on the lit half of the ship. He had to be on the <laughs> dark the half of the ship. So selfish. So, what, <laughs> yeah. was
1: anyone, did he have a radio?
2: He did not. Thankfully, the master had a handheld VHF okay. radio. Because at the time, he was just in a dry suit. He wasn't expecting to go down. So, like yeah. I said earlier, when he jumped into basket, he didn't have his trisar on. Oh man! Uh, and um, so, yeah, he goes down, and uh, but yeah, they were We get back, and that's what we. That's what, what deteriorating rapidly as we come back to see yeah. two two boats, two halves of the of the same ship. How, that, uh, how long were but, you?
0: Like, how so? Like you left, boat was in one piece. How long do you think between? deteriorating rapidly and like the
2: boat breaking in uh about probably about uh an hour and 45 minutes this, or so. looks, like, about this 45 looks like a 45 minute transit this looks like a pretend oil painting yeah no. <laughs> like <laughs> a yeah.
0: dramatized like look at that and tell like that looks like a pretend oil painting of
1: like yeah. the whole cow that is
0: a wild picture so
1: you know like looking back you're like man rapidly deteriorating is not a very good radio call, right? Like, no, Hey, the ship broke in half. We're in contact with the swimmer and the master. They're still okay. But please, like we're expecting you to come back, you know, yeah, has a better radio call than what just it, like, holy
0: shit. I, I have another question. So you obviously talked to Bean afterwards. What was being on a ship like that was breaking in two?
2: He said it was surreal. Like, because he had asked the master, he was like, what's going to happen next? Because when we left, they're just in the dark and yeah. the wind's howling and they're, they don't go inside. Yeah. They, they could have gone into forecastle, but yeah. they were afraid to go into forecastle because, of course, yeah. you know, the ship's aground. They don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So they're getting every wave that washes over them. They're drenched in cold water. Sure. The winds are howling. And he asked the master what's going to happen. The master told him that, well, the ship's going to break in half. And he's like, what? And he goes, oh, no, it'll take a couple of days. It took about an hour and, um, you know, 45 minutes or whatever. So he said he was just, they were still Stand, they were standing there, and he said he starts hearing this really loud creaking, even over the howl of the winds. He hears this really loud creaking, and uh, then it's just he said it was like the the biggest bass. It was like God beating a bass drum, and uh, just this big boom. And he watched the lights peel away, and of course the lights on the bridge yeah. on the on the forecastle went out yeah. because the generators on the stern of the ship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he said, yeah, it was. He's was like, okay, crap. Yeah. Now I, what?
1: Remember that three days that I estimated? Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah I How wrong. about now? <laughs> <I> have,
0: <laughs> also, I'm thinking, like, uh, thankfully, they were at the right part of the boat. Like, yes, they were on the unlit part of the boat, but they were not in the middle of the ship. They were not anywhere. No.
2: Yeah, that is. Yeah, and because it, it broke literally right in the middle of the ship. Man. Yeah. Uh, so we get back. And now we're just trying to sort out what we're going to do. And yeah. We start trying to hoist uh, to the—they the, were on the starboard side of, right just after the fo'c'sle at this point. And, uh, we, we start trying to get the basket near them. And I, I made two or three attempts and I was so far forward of the ship and the baskets just whipping all around yeah. and, and, you know, Greg's yelling at me cause it's almost hitting the forecastle, and, yeah. and I'm like this, just, I'm all over the place yeah. cause I'm, I'm in a black hole yeah. and, uh, and Rob says, "Let me, let me try out. Let me try from the left seat. I can still see the stern of the ship because the lights are still on." And I'm like, "Okay, dude, you got it. Take it. Take a shot from the left seat." He makes a shot. He takes an attempt from the left seat, uh, and in the middle of his hoist, with the you know goggles down, snows blowing, fifty knots of wind, the generators burn out, and so now he's in the oh. darkness. And then he Rob actually got vertigo, and he's kind of all over. Yeah. And uh, we're like, "Okay, let me let's." I called. We backed up, and I took the controls back. I'm like, "Hey, man, you're gonna have to go back to Bean. I'm like, "Y'all, you have to go back as far as you can on the ship. I mean, yeah. we, we gotta have something to look at." Yeah. And uh, he goes back to the hatch right in front of the one that where the that where where, where the split was. Yeah. And uh, the next uh, the next attempt, we actually get the basket on the deck. And uh, by the time we get the basket on the deck, according to Greg, we had uh, white cable coming out of the drum. Old you know what that out. means. Yeah. That's all we got. <laughs> yeah. That's all we got. And uh, I'm literally, I had taken my goggles up because Rob had the goggles down. He had very much that star field effect. Yeah. And uh, I I'd taken my goggles up and I had my hoist, my landing hover light is like pointed about 30 degrees over my shoulder back yeah. at the bow and I'm looking through the cabin door at the bow section of the ship as my frame of reference. And, uh, and then Greg gives me the, here's one that you never want to hear when you're hoisting. Right, ready? You know, survivors in basket ready for pickup back yeah. 100. <laughs> <And> I'm like,
1: <laughs> I was what? just, I was just thinking of like, you know, the way you're describing this of like being in a black hole, you know, that isn't the like, Hey, forward and right 20, yeah, 10, no. 10 no. Five, five, easy, four. no, hold. back a hundred, <laughs> left 40, hold forward, 40, back up hundred.
2: <laughs> yeah. And so we, we get, we back up and, you know, we realized later looking at those pictures. So our cable was basically laying across, you know, the big giant cranes yeah. and the stick cables that come down on that. Our cable wow. was laying across that. Yeah. And, um, so we get back and he, he says, are you ready for pickup? You know, take, uh, taking the load. Uh, and as soon as he, as soon as he took the load, we got a gust. I over controlled. Yeah. And, uh, he just screams at me because you can't f and do that, sir. And I'm like, you come f and try. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little yeah. working right here. Right? Hey, it, this is not
1: from a lack of will here, yeah. buddy. Well, <laughs> I want to get the basket <laughs> in the helicopter.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it, it, we laugh about it now because yeah. that's the kind of open conversation oh, yeah. we were having. Yeah, it just, raw it, emotion. Yeah. yeah, you know. And uh, they, according to. Uh, Brian, I mean uh, Greg Gibbons, and according to Bean, who was on the deck watching the master, because Bean didn't get in, I, I don't know if he just seen the cable whipping around and didn't think they'd take both both of them in the basket. Yeah. It was just the master. They said that the the basket missed the top of one of those crane masts by about oh. ten feet. Oh. That's when Gre- that's when Greg yelled at me. Yeah, yeah I deserve that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we we but we had figured it out. We had at least how to get the basket on deck. We get the basket on deck one more time. We get Bean in the basket and we back up. And uh, I told him. I said this time. I said, "Dude, I'm just going to pull an armload of power. We're just going to go straight Let's up. Get so out of here. Get out of here." Yeah. And uh, so we get him up. We get Plum. We now we've got Bean and the Masters. Nobody left on the ship. We made one quick pass back down the shoreline, really just to see if there was any survivors. And um, when uh, when we made that pass, we're like, "Okay, we're done." Because we yeah. at this point we're four hours into it from when we, when the whole thing started or, you know, really two days into right. it, but four days into this and four hours into this. And we're, we're just done. We're like, okay, let's, we st- and we still have to transit back to Dutch yeah. Harbor one more time, yeah. which was not a picnic. So we make our way back to Dutch Harbor. And at, like on the, on the way back, ComState Kodiak asked us, they said, uh, or it might've been the Alex Haley one. I think it was Alex Haley asked us. One, one of the two of them. And you could hear the almost the laugh in their voice. Like, can
1: you come back and take pictures of oil?
2: There was it oh. not not pictures of oil, but <laughs> there was a there was a quick like <laughs> district wants to know if you can come back out <laughs> to search for some yeah, liquid. Like no, no, oh. not at this point. I mean, yeah. Rajiv was ba- was barely hanging on, and yeah. you know, and sadly, and I don't want that to get lost in this either. Is that you know, six people died in that crash. Yeah. You know, six. All that was ever found was some torn up life jackets and a, a few shoes.
3: Yeah, you know, they yeah. were,
2: and so you know, six Malaysian and Indian families lost their uh, their loved one that day. So I don't, I don't yeah. want that to get lost. And even though we kind of joke, you know, got to bring some levity to it, yeah. and, and we tell yeah. the story about the success, but there was still some tragedy there. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it just could have been a lot worse. And so we uh, we get back, and uh, you know, we finally get the aircraft in the hangar, and um, you know, you close the door, and the adrenaline dump hits. Yeah. And when you look at it, because the cabin's covered in oil and jet fuel, there's oil and jet fuel dripping out of the hoist. Uh, to your point about, like, how much cable was paid out behind this. So, there was so much oil on the cable. And if you looked on the bottom of the tail boom, there were witness marks on the bottom of the tail boom, like, long lines where the cable was slapping the bottom yeah. of the tail boom. Holy oh, cow. my god! And uh, we're like, yeah, we're done. Yeah. yeah. So, that's... uh you know a lot more to it but uh, I've already been talking for no, an hour and a no. half here man oh. but uh, that's that's at the end of the day that's the that's the story that's the most synoptic version I can give you I think yeah that With, is
0: um like I, like I've heard this story before not not quite as long but like
1: still and I'm still hung
0: on every single word yeah like it is such a good story
1: if um, if I could ask and I don't, I don't know if you're comfortable talking about it, like but you talked about that adrenaline dump like what was going through your mind? Like you're sitting back at Dutch Harbor. There's your
2: boys that you just pulled out of the water. Like what you witnessed. Um, what did it feel like? What the f just happened? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, literally, it was because you you got into. We had spent the last you know four plus hours, three point three hours of flight time. Yeah. The last four four plus hours getting our butts handed to us, battling the elements, yeah. truly battling the elements. Trying not to die. Witnessing, yourself, you, know. you know, witnessing a crash, coming back to find a ship broken half, yeah. just Jeez. absolutely having our ass handed to us. Yeah. And suddenly you're inside the hangar and you're in these bright lights and you're seeing all the oil and jet fuel yeah. all over the cabin. And the, the hangar doors are rattling because the wind's still howling. Yeah. And you just, it, I, I can't even describe the adrenaline dump and the, yeah. the truly what the F just happened and what did we just do, my Yeah. And that's you know, and then you know later on the emotions you kind of you work through some of the emotions after the fact. Right? Oh wow, that some of that was really close to you know. At first is what did we do? What did we just? What just happened? And then oh yeah, the rotor blade just missed us. Yeah, and you start recounting. Yeah, yeah. Some of the some of the the details that you just gloss over because yeah. you got the, what's yeah. the next task at hand, yeah. right? That's yeah. what, what's got to be done right now. Did so. you, did you guys have a debrief that evening that night? <laughs> so, funny enough. Yeah. We had our own SISM debrief in the Cape cheerful lounge yeah. uh, in the, and uh, uh, the grand Illusion Cause we, those guys, you know, we dropped them off. They, they had the keys to the, the vehicle from the MSU. And yeah. they went to, uh, they, uh, they, they went and they're like, well, what do we need to do? I guess they're driving around. They just, you know, Survived a crash and they're driving around Dutch Harbor. They're like, I guess we need to stop by the hospital and, you know, piss and bleed. Yep. And uh, so they, they did that. Uh, and then they went to the, they checked in the Grand Lucian. They went to the Cape Cheerful Lounge, which was the bar right there. Yeah. And, uh, whenever we got to the lounge uh, or we got to the front desk a couple hours later, uh, you know, we're covered in our, my 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 dry suit, my jacket, yeah. my bags. I didn't have near as much as as Greg did because yeah. he was in the back. But we, you know, still stuff's bumping against you. There's yeah. oil streaks on you. and uh, They saw us and they walked out, and it was a uh, it was a uh, cathartic moment. Yeah. Um, and we're like, all right, let's get in the room. You know, I, I went back to my room. I dropped my stuff off, and we went down to the Cape Cheerful Lounge, and we had our own schism. Yeah. Our, the 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 seven of us had our own. SISM debrief for about the next two hours wow. in, the, in the Cape Cheerful Lounge. Wow. And it was, uh, you know, it's easy to, you know, laugh and go, oh, yeah, you were just drinking it away. Now, honestly, I think that was probably one of the best things that happened because yeah. we talked through so many things in the in, in the moment, yeah, you know, and by the time we actually had actual SISM and with yeah. a SISM counselor, I don't want to downplay that, but we had already done our SISM yeah. debrief. Yeah. We had that, already- That portion is massively
0: important, but the you understood what happened everybody talked about who was involved. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. And spoke the same language. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And we got through, we got through it in the emotions of the moment, you know, in yeah. the next two or three months, it was just a clean up and all this other stuff. I'm yeah. like, yeah, it's more than just a cleanup, man. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So that, uh, that's about the most synoptic version of the story I can give you guys. Man. That is gosh, that is a great, great
0: story by also an equally great storyteller.
2: Nah, like, I don't know about that. I yeah. <laughs> just, I, you know, I, I, I think I told you earlier, I, I love sharing the story, not because I was in it, but I do have some intimate details. Yeah. Uh, because as tragic as the story was, there was a good outcome that could have been a yes. lot worse. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that is a testament to our standardization, to our training, yeah. uh, to the mindset of, uh, you know, of, of Coasties everywhere. Um, there are some success stories to be found in tragedy. And I, and, it, and it's a it's a true Coast guard story. I mean, there's a cutter. There was... You know, ocean-going tugs. It yeah. was a distressed uh, ship. There were, you know, tragically six lives lost. There was a C-130. There was two sixties. There was yeah. a 65. I mean, couldn't get many more Coast Guard assets in it. And you had D-17 and the air station in Comstate State Kodiak. And you just had a lot of moving pieces. And uh, what could have been an even more tragic day, you know, thankfully
0: turned out. I I know personally I've taken lessons learned. From each SAR case I've ever been on and at the risk of triggering another hour and a half long discussion, (laughs) what did you take away? Like standing SAR duty for the next however many years, what was on your mind because of that case? And when you went out on SAR cases, what were you thinking and what are the lessons, like the good lessons you'd like to pass on?
2: You know, I, I think the probably the the biggest thing is, and we had this, this diagram. Doug Doug Watson came up with this diagram. It's like an upside upside down wedding cake. We always called it, or a wedding cake, and it was uh, it was a great diagram because we talk about like training, right? Like you start out very basic. You're learning how to hoist, and you're learning how to hoist on a back then a 41 footer. Most yeah. of your audience won't even know what a 41 footer is. <laughs> Uh, no, I think it's a contract yeah. boat. That's yeah, what I was about to say. <laughs> it's the, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we learned to hoist on a 41-footer, and then you cut your teeth on your first SAR case where you might hoist to a cruise ship or something. And then you you train some more, and you, you, you advance through first pilot and aircraft commander, and eventually you wind up doing a hoist to a, a sailboat. Yeah. You know, and that, so every time... You get some training, you get some experiences, and you keep filling your bucket, right? And yeah. you're, you get to a point where, you know, as an aircraft commander, you'll get a sarcase that you've never even heard about, talked about, or thought about, and suddenly you're making shit up on the fly. Yeah. You're improv. You're in the improv. The more you improv, the more you improvise, rather, the, you know, the, the more experience goes in your bucket, and so yeah. you get a little bit better. And then you get to those days where you get into the uh, extreme improv, and that's where we were. You know, because we can talk about risk management all day long, but if you don't, if you can't identify every threat, you can't identify every risk. Right. Uh, so you just do your best at risk management. So I, I use the wedding cake that Doug came up with, which was a phenomenal graph, simple but perfect graphic example. And then I tie it back to ORM. And so to answer your question, really long-winded. Again, I give you long-winded Thoughts. answers. Good. Uh, it, it's it's understanding what our ORM principles are Mm -hmm. like it's nobody ever and i would ask people when we give this a safety stand-ups and stand downs i'm like how many people have read the ORM instruction you know and it's usually like if if two or three people maybe that's all you got
1: the safety officer yeah Yeah. it's always a safety officer and (laughs) you know
2: but nobody else reads it but we you know we talk about ORM but the more you i guess the takeaway is our training works yeah um, and take your training seriously and understanding the ORM principles and implementing them in every facet of your life and the things that you do so that the the implementation, the monitoring, the execution of it is automatic. Because when the time comes that you need to use that, you're not going to have time to pause, think, flip yeah. back through a manual. It, it, it's got to be done. It's got to be done right now. Yeah. And every decision that we made was not necessarily perfect. huh uh, and there are some that I'm sure were probably flawed. And it's very easy to pick apart when you're oh, sitting yeah. in a room where the lights are on and the wind's not blowing. Yeah. You're drinking a little four Roses yeah, bourbon. Yeah, exactly. really that's crazy. So know? it's very easy to <laughs> uh, to dissect it in that context. But in, in the moment, you just don't have time. Yeah. And whether you're flying a 65 that's fuel limited, and we always make time critical risk management decisions, or you're carrying six hours of gas in the 60. Things happen on scene where you have to make decisions, yes. and you use every tool that the Coast Guard has given you. Uh, that's your training, that's your your policy doctrine, your CRM, your risk management knowledge, and your crew. You know, you use all those slices of the Swiss cheese yeah. to try to f- start filling in some of the holes and right. make it work. And, yeah, and uh, I, that's really I think the biggest thing is just take your training to heart because it it matters. Uh, understand egress training because it matters. Yes. Uh, uh, it can save your life, and it, it did for Doug and for Dave and for uh, Brian. Um, and understand the principles of risk management. I don't, yeah. I don't care if you can quote the manual. That doesn't matter to me. Do you understand what those principles mean, and can you put them in action in a timely fashion to execute and uh, deliver, execute a decision and deliver the response? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, you, you know, you mentioned it. something that I, I latched on to. You know, like, hey, did you guys talk about RM? And you're like, Uh, not really it was really brief you know but it doesn't mean that it didn't happen right like all those times where you were out on a routine flight you know you talk about the star the piece or whatever it was like you were doing every individual person was doing those things and constantly running through those things in their head and they had the confidence to know that they could speak up when they needed to if something at any point during that evolution to be like hold on we need to stop this hey I don't think we can get this aircraft out. I don't think we should take off. Hey, we should. Hey, don't effing do that. It was yeah. was like he was communicating yeah, something, right? Absolutely. Like maybe he didn't have like standard phraseology, yeah. but he's like, hey, accurate,
2: bold and concise. Right. Yes. The ABCs yeah. of communication, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I um, knew
2: exactly what he meant.
1: So yeah, it yeah, just because you didn't go over a checklist doesn't mean that it didn't didn't happen and yeah. I think, you know, like you said, it's the training gets you to that point where you are ready to make those decisions when you have to and it's life or death and you don't have two minutes to to brief it yeah absolutely that's that's awesome and i you know i've i've heard this story um a few times and it's interesting like what you pick up out of stuff and for, for me this time just listening to you talk about like yeah we made it back to dutch harbor we shut down and it's quiet except for like the howling wind and the hangar doors blowing and I smell like oil and I don't even know what just happened. And there's my boys that I just pulled out of the water. Like now what, you know, like that, uh, like to me, I'm still trying to think about that. And like, it it almost makes me like my allergies kick in here once again, you know, but, um, man, like what, so much to process, yeah. and I'm sure it took weeks and
2: months. And and dude, make, I'm still processing. I was about it. To say, I mean, it's you 19 know, years later, right? Yeah, and you just
1: think back of like, dang, holy crap! Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I won't. And, lie. Uh, I
2: still think about it all the time. There's yeah. a yeah. when they salvaged I, in my in my garage, I have the uh, one of the floats off the basket, it's, you know, perfect, oh, solidly wow. oil stained, yeah, and. Uh, it was non RFI at that point. Yeah, uh, I got one. Yeah. And Greg's got one. Yeah, and uh, it's got their uh, name tags. The four guys' name tags are stitched onto That's it. That's awesome, me. man. Uh, you know, there's a there's a piece of the sixty twenty when they salvaged it off the off the uh, the beach. And you know, it's probably the most important thing hanging on any one of the walls in my house. Yeah. It's just uh, it's a reminder.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, man, what what a story. Thank you so much Tim yeah. for coming on and, and sharing your, are part of the story and such a humble guy. Um,
2: and yeah, thank you. And my pleasure, man. Like I said, it's a, it's a Coast Guard story. It's a, despite the tragedy, it's a success story for our training, for our personnel. And, uh, you know, that, that there aren't any Coast Guard names on a memorial wall because of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, great and a great crew effort. I mean, I, I say it over and over again. I, Whatever I did, I couldn't have done without Greg, and I couldn't right. have done without Rob. And, you know, even getting Rajiv back and, you know, getting CPR on him, couldn't have done it without the three guys we just pulled out yeah. of the water. Because Brian Lickfield and and Greg jumped on and started doing CPR on this guy. Yeah. And, and that's just a testament to, like, they saw somebody who needed help, and they
0: just went through a pretty traumatic experience. But, again, they said game time.
2: Yeah, process like, it later. Yep. Here we go. Let's deal with the here and now. So yeah. I love this story. Yeah, Yeah, man. It's awesome. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I hope, uh, I hope uh, somebody gets something out of it and and, and you know where to find me. You always reach out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In in San Diego flying a challenger around. (laughs) Yeah. Life doesn't suck, man.
1: (laughs) I always like to end every episode with like some sort of um, advice that either you received or you like to give um, people, whether it's uh, a young Tim Eason, if you could go back and say something or, uh, flight mec or a flight mech or a pilot, like,
2: you know, probably the biggest thing I take away from, you know, 31 years in the Coast Guard, this SAR case and all the other SAR cases, because they had some cool ones uh, throughout the years, did some really cool stuff, but just especially for everybody that's active duty now and that's wearing the green flight suit and, and going out and doing the King's business, man, is be in the moment, you know, you're, you're in the greatest Coast Guard in the world. Yeah. You have the coolest job. You get, uh, despite the fact that it's aging and parts are hard to find, you fly some of the coolest equipment and doing the most, uh, the the best mission you could possibly do. You're going to make a difference in somebody's life that you don't know. Yeah. So be in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, right. uh, I, t-
0: I, I take that to heart. And I, uh, every time I walk out to the aircraft, there's like a moment of silence and you see the 65 in front of you. And I'm like, if five-year-old Max knew what I was doing or just about to do right now, he'd lose his shit. <laughs> and like, it is that is a very true statement. And like, I take, I I take that moment, and it is worth it.
1: Yeah, I, I get pumped. Yeah, I all time I see a 65 oh. or Coast Guard aircraft flying, you stop and
0: when like, you when you hear when you hear cool. a
1: leaf blower, you always look up and like, <laughs>
2: yeah. 65? Oh, yeah. some, no, somebody's just doing yard yeah. work. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Tupper Tupperwolf will always be near and dear to my heart. Yeah, Tupperwolf, f-
0: that's I've not heard that one. Sure, you that? Have. No, I have not. Get out of here! No, I have not.
2: You know, the old reference, you know, the, the the plastic fantastic. Yeah, the I've heard Wolf? that.
0: I have not heard Tupperwolf. That is, I'm using that from now on.
2: Okay. I don't care what anybody ever says about her, man. She she <laughs> answered the the bell every time. She's brought us home hundred percent of the time. Yep. So. Tupper Tupperwolf. Wow and Thank I'll you. never take shit from a big iron guy again <laughs> <laughs> well thanks Tim I, I love them too yeah. that's
1: a good way to end it we're not yeah. taking shit from any big iron guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll see you guys Tupperwolf out we
3: say goodbye banana